Hey, Cornerstone Fellowship, my name is Philip. I'm with Foster the City. Foster the City is a movement of churches uh, just like Cornerstone Fellowship that are working together to provide loving homes for kids that are coming into foster care. I am so stoked to be with you today to, to have a conversation about something that I think is really near to the heart of God. And because it's near to the heart of God, it's near to the heart of this church. Um, today, I wanna talk about the remarkable compassion of God. Okay, I want to take just a, a long, lingering look at the remarkable compassion of God and the remarkable compassion that he's calling you and me into. And, and just so we're on the same page right out the gate, let me, let me tell you what I mean when I say that. Okay, you, if you look at that word compassion, you have com, C-O-M, and then you have passion, right? Passion, we know, means uh, to suffer, like, like the passion of the Christ. And, and, and com, C-O-M, like, like community or communal, it means with. So compassion means to suffer with, um, to, to stand with those who are suffering, to be near to those who are suffering, to be near to those who are in need. And as I said, that, like, this is something that's incredibly near to the heart of God, isn't it? You know, when you, we, when you open up the scriptures, it is crystal clear God loves, he loves every man, woman, and child, right? In the Bay Area, across this planet, he loves every man, woman, and child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Right? That, that he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. He, he loves everybody. And yet it's also clear when you open up the scriptures, there are some people that have a special place in his heart. There are some people that, that, that make the top of God's list. It's the, um, it's the orphan. It's the, the widow. It's the poor. Uh, and it's the immigrant. You see it all throughout the Bible. Genesis to Revelations, Old Testament, New Testament. It's those who are far from home. It's those who are without family. It's those who um, have suffered deep loss, who are without protection, who are vulnerable. They have a special place in the heart of God. I could take you so many places throughout scriptures, but really it's from the beginning to the end. You see it all the way in the very beginning in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You see in Deuteronomy 15, it says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. It's in the Torah. It's in the Psalms. Defend the weak and the fatherless, the, the psalmist says. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. It's in the wisdom books. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. It's in the prophets. Isaiah 58, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to, to, to let the oppressed grow, go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? It goes right on into the New Testament, right from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And it goes on into the New Testament letters. James 1:27. religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I could keep going and going and going. Here's my point. All throughout the scriptures, it is crystal clear what God's heart is towards the vulnerable. And because remarkable compassion is a defining characteristic of our God, remarkable compassion has been a defining characteristic of God's people since the beginning of the church. Last 2,000 years throughout church history, it is so crystal clear that the, the way that remarkable compassion has worked itself out of God's people. 
There's a lot you could say about the church over the last 2,000 years, um, some positive, some not so much. Um, but one thing that is undeniable, over the last 2,000 years, time and again, God's people have moved towards places and systems of brokenness and injustice, and we have brought healing and hope. That is what God's people do. Countless examples. In fact, did you know that the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the church? Isn't that cool? If, if you look at um, education reform and prison reform and uh, women's rights and the abolition of slavery and civil rights, of course, they all trace their roots back to the Christian movement. This is what we do. The same is true of foster care. Um, let me tell you about a guy named uh, Charles Brace. Char Charles Loring Brace was his name. Back in the 1800s, was born in the northeastern part of the U.S., uh, he was part of a Christian home, and he was young. He placed his faith in Jesus. And one day he was uh, sitting in church uh, Sunday morning, listening to a message from his pastor. And the pastor said something that would become this kind of defining moment in his life. Um, this is, I'm going to paraphrase here, so bear with me. But he's, this is basically what the pastor said. Uh, the pastor said, you know, when we stop to remember all that God has done for us in our times of need, when we stop to remember all the times that God has met us with compassion when we were in need, it's impossible when we see those in need around us now to, 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 to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to do something. I kind of butchered that. Let me say that one more time. <laughs> this is what the pastor said. When we stop to remember all that God has done for us in our need, now when we see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some level of responsibility to do something. That made sense to Charles. So a few years would go by, he'd be in New York City, he was uh, studying to become a pastor, he was in seminary, and one day walk, went for a walk through the streets of New York, and he walked into this neighborhood called Five Points. Uh, Five Points uh, at the time was known for its uh, crime and its, its poverty and its prostitution and its gang violence. And he said that he just, he walked into that neighborhood and his heart just broke, his heart melted. Because what he saw in front of him were just, were a bunch of children, a bunch of kids living in these really broken, unhealthy environments. And when he walked into that neighborhood and he saw what he saw that day, his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized, in light of all the ways that God has met me in my need, I have to do something with what I'm seeing in front of me. I have to. And so he did. He got some of his buddies together uh, at the age of 27, and they started what they called the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, is still going on today, 150 years later. Uh, and the Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a, at a root systemic level with what they were seeing in these neighborhoods in New York. So, for example, they started the first ever free school lunch program. Uh, they started uh, the first free dental clinics for kids in the area. They started schools for kids who were disabled. They started uh, the first ever, get this, the first ever parent-teacher association. PTA came from the children's aids. If you've been a part of the PTA, you can blame Charles Brace. Um, but most notably, they started what we call here in America foster care. So they would help these kids who were living in these really broken, unhealthy environments find a stable home to live in while their biological family took the necessary steps to create a healthy environment, and then the families were restored back together. What, what morphed and evolved from there became what we call in America foster care. 
like, I want to, I'm going to make sure you, you, you're following me here. Foster care was started by a pastor. It was started by a Christian with the motivation that, that in light of all that God has done for us, like surely we can do the same for those who are in front of us. Surely we can move towards the vulnerable that are right in our own backyards. Um, but the reality is, honestly, the, the, the church moving towards vulnerable kids has a much longer, even richer history than that. We actually have historical records that tell us um, uh, about an early kind of Roman tradition, Greco-Roman tradition, when a, when a child would be born into a family, they would often do this ritual, this tradition. They would, they would take the baby and they would place the baby down at the feet of its father. And if the father stooped down and picked up the child in his arms, the child was legitimized, celebrated, the place would go wild. Everybody, the child would be welcomed, celebrated, legitimized into that family. It's beautiful. Um, by the way, that's where we get the term raising our kids is from that tradition. Um, the problem is sometimes the dad didn't bend down and pick up the child. Maybe the, the child looked sick uh, or frail. Maybe the child wasn't the preferred gender of that day. If for whatever reason the dad didn't bend down and pick up the child, um, instead what they would do is they would take the child outside of the city, it would be left alone to die. Um, by the way, that was a completely common, legal, acceptable practice at the time. They called it infant exposure. But we also have historical records that tell us how early followers of Jesus responded to that, what the early church did. We're told that at night, the early church would, would go outside of the city and they would walk up and down the streets listening for the cries of children. And when they'd find these kids, they'd bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Guys, this is, this is what we do. This is the legacy of the church. Like this is the history of God's people. This is who we are. That, why I'm so stoked to be a part of Cornerstone Fellowship today is because like that wasn't just meant to be indicative and, and, and defining of who the church once was. That's meant to be who we are today. We have the opportunity to carry on that team torch in our generation right here in the Bay Area. The difference, though, is that you and I don't have to walk up and down the streets listening for the cries of children to know who needs help. That The state of California has told us where we can find them. But it's about eight, nine years ago that my wife and I started fostering. Um, and we started welcoming in these kids. And if you're not that familiar with foster care, um, sometimes a kid has to be, be removed from their biological family for maybe um, some, some traumatic situation. Maybe it's neglect or it's abuse, some, some kind of trauma. It's just not a safe environment anymore. And so a child's removed. And so these kids that were coming into our home were just breaking our hearts. We are getting to know them, getting to know their families, breaking our hearts. Um, I was a pastor of a church at that time. Small little pastor, here, uh, small little church uh, here in the Bay Area. And um, so as our hearts are breaking for these kids, there was one morning uh, years ago, we just stood in front of the little congregation and we said, what if as a whole church, we found some ways that we could move towards these kids and their families in crisis? Um, so we kind of came up with some ways as a, as a congregation that we would try to do that. Um, and as we took steps towards these kids and their families, we began to build relationships with social workers. And... Uh, uh, at one, one point, a social worker sat down with me and she said, Philip, hey, this is, this is great. We like working with your church. Uh, she said, but the, the reality is right now uh, in, the, in the Bay Area, um, we're in an emergency crisis. That was the phrase she used. She said, we are in an emergency crisis. 
And she said, this crisis honestly is just bigger than your church. She said, do you think that there are other churches out there that would want to come and link arms with you? She said, the reality is there are more children entering into foster care today than there are homes that are ready to receive them and help them in their time of need. She said, do you think that there are churches that would come alongside and work together to help us flip that crisis upside down? And guys, it has been one of the greatest gifts of my life, one of the greatest joys of my life, watching the way churches like Cornerstone Fellowship have responded to that invitation from that social worker. What started with one little congregation meeting in a senior center here in the Bay Area is today 276 churches working together to raise up foster families, to raise up support for foster families, and we're going to keep doing it until there's more than enough to meet the need. Our vision is that one day there'd be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. And, and my hope and prayer is that some of you might, might be a part of that. Now, I, I want to kind of take the remaining bit of our time to, uh, together today um, to actually share with you some of the reasons why I think we're seeing churches like Cornerstone Fellowship, why we're seeing so many families step forward, why we've seen so many hundreds of kids now welcomed into loving Foster the City homes. I, I want to tell you why I think we're seeing so many step forward and say yes. Uh, there's, there's three things, I th three reasons why I believe people are, are moving forward and saying yes. Before I do that, can I just make one quick comment? Um, Foster care is not for everybody. <laughs> can I just say this? You can breathe a little bit wherever you are right now. You can just take a breath. Foster care is not for everybody. Um, but listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. That's, that's not actually up for debate. Okay, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion. And so we follow in his footsteps, don't we? But, but foster care is only one expression of remarkable compassion. There are countless expressions of compassion. But I do believe that what I'm about to share with you, these th three reasons why people are moving forward, I, I, even if foster care is not even on your radar, I do think these three things I'm about to share with you can still help to be a foundation and a motivator for you in your life of compassion, whatever expression that might be. So here's the first reason why I think we're seeing families step forward, why we're seeing churches step forward. It's because we know that every person has intrinsic value. Every person has intrinsic value. Now, I know at Cornerstone Fellowship, there's a lot of young families. Um, so let me take a minute, if I could, and just speak to some, some of you moms and dads out there. Um, we are, we are, we've learned a lot over the recent years about what happens in the heart and in the mind of a child from the, from the very earliest age. Um, uh, neuroscientists, call, they call this attachment theory. Um, there, there are things that are firing off and that a child is learning from the very earliest of ages. So for example, um, moms and dads, listen in. When, when your child cries, when you have a baby that, that, that cries and reaches out in need, and mom, dad, caregiver, when you come and you meet that child in her need, you pick her up, you bring warmth, um, you feed her, you rock her back to sleep, you meet her in that need. We're learning that there are some things that are firing off in that child's brain. There are some things that are being affirmed for that child. Do you know what they are? That child is learning, I'm loved, um, I'm valuable, I matter, and there is someone outside of me that I can trust. That's what's being affirmed for that child when you meet them in their need. On the flip side, of course, when, when, a, when a child cries, 
and their need is maybe not met. Um, they reach out for help and nobody meets them in their need. Or maybe that, that when they reach out for help, it's met with frustration or anger. Instead, we're learning that there are some things that are firing off in their brain, and it's that I must not be loved, I must not matter, and I can't trust anybody besides myself. Guys, it has been, over the last eight years, one of the, again, one of the greatest joys of my life, watching family after family after family, including families right here at Cornerstone Fellowship, that have moved towards kids and daily met them in their needs and are reaffirming to them what is true about who they are. You are loved, you matter, and there is someone outside of you that you can trust, and ultimately there is a God that you can trust. We, we know in the book of Genesis says that we were created in the image of God. We are imagers, every one of us. Every one of you watching today, listening today, you are an image bearer of God. You matter. The book of Isaiah says that you are precious to God in his sight. You matter. I- Ephesians 1, uh, Paul says uh, that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. He spoke you forth from before the foundation of the world. Stop and think about that for a minute. That means that 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 moment when your mom and your dad came together and you were conceived, I know it's gross to think about, hang with me for just a minute. That moment when your mom and your dad came together and you were put into being, if Ephesians 1 is true, then that moment of conception is second in your story. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before time and space began. You matter. Every man, woman, and child across the Bay Area and beyond matters to God. I have a buddy. Um, he's a, a foster dad. His name is Krish. And uh, he tells a story about one day getting a call for a kiddo that needed uh, a, a foster home. And uh, he, he already had kids in the home, so he was on the phone with the social worker, and he said, well, I've already got kids in my house right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about him before I say yes? I want to make sure he's going to be a good fit for our family. Um, and the social worker on the other end of the line said, well, we, we, we don't know much about him. Um, he's brand new to the system. Uh, we know one thing. We know he's a biter. And my buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what, what is he biting? And he's like, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. And he said, as soon as that thought hit him, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. Truth started flooding back into his mind. And he said, I realized that the term biter is an incomplete description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because you are more than the worst things that you've done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. Friends, you, you matter to God. And again, set foster care aside for a minute. You might have just needed to, to log on and, and, and be watching this today just because you right now today need to hear that one sentiment. So I'm going to say it one more time and I want you to hear. You matter to God. You are more than the worst things you've done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. You are valuable. And I I don't just say that because I read it in a book somewhere, I sing it in a song. Like, God didn't just say that we matter. He proved it, didn't he? God, God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. 
that, that brings me to, to my second point, the second reason why I believe so many churches and so many families are moving towards vulnerable in their community. And that's because we realize their story is our story. Right? Their, their story is, is my story. Um, I may be a little bit biased here, but there may, there may be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments when you open up your heart and your life to someone who's in need. Because that's exactly what he did for us, didn't he? There, there was a time in, in my life when I was hurting and struggling and I felt alone and um, my, my marriage was falling apart. And I thought that because of all of the wounds and the junk and all the scars from my past that I had lost any hope for my future. And when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, God met me there and he brought me into family and he gave me hope for my future. Is that your story? There, there's a verse again in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. Uh, it says, uh, I think it's verse four and five. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. I love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Listen, I don't know most of you. I don't know most of your stories. You might have, have jumped on here and you're watching this. Maybe you've been a part of Cornerstone Fellowship for a long time. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're here just exploring faith, Christianity, Jesus. Is there really a God out there? Maybe in your, in your time of seeking and exploring, you're even to this place where, man, even if there is a God out there, would he want someone like me? Maybe there is a God, but would he even want someone like me after all the things I've done, all the places that I've been time and time again, would he even want me? If that's you today, I beg you to hear what the scriptures say, that not only is, is, is he willing to welcome you into his family, he wants to. It says this is what he wanted to do and it brought him great pleasure. It would bring God great pleasure and great joy to welcome you in as his daughter or as his son. I feel like um, as a foster dad, I feel like I've gotten a chance to, to just like have a tiny little like glimpse of what this is like, welcoming someone into your family. Um, the kiddos that we've brought into our home have brought a tr tremendous amount of joy and laughter and unbelievable memories. Um, the most recent little girl that we brought into our home, we brought her in when she was two months old, uh, two and a half months old. And we fostered her for about four years. Um, and uh, partway through her fostering journey, we were told um, that her case was gonna be different than the kiddos we'd fostered in the past. The kids we'd fostered in the past had all gone back home to be with their families. That's the goal whenever possible. It's to see, fam we, like, we've, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation is what the scriptures say. So we gotta see families reconciled back together. We gotta help support that. Um, but for this little girl, that wasn't gonna be possible. She wasn't gonna have a home to go back to. And so the social workers and the judges and stuff, they said, hey, um, she's gonna need another option for what they call permanency. And so after four years of fostering this little girl, uh, we, we moved from being her, her foster family to her forever family. We got the chance to adopt her. Um, and now she's, she, she just turned seven. And for the last almost, uh, man, almost seven years, it's like clockwork every morning. Um, 
I have this chair in my family room where I do my quiet time. And um, so almost every morning she, she comes and waddles out in her little nighty. She comes a little waddles out of her room and into the family room and she crawls up and she totally interrupts my quiet time every single, every single morning. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And it's, it's mind boggling to me that the way that I see my little girl as she comes towards me and that the way that I love her and adore her that God feels that kind of pleasure towards me as his son? Again, God was not just willing to welcome you into his family. He wants you. It would bring him great joy. But welcoming us into family didn't just come with pleasure, didn't just come with joy, did it? When God welcomed us into his family, it also required something else. It required sacrifice. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's what Hebrews says. There's joy, but there's also a cross. Um, in the same way, you, when you and I show remarkable compassion towards others, there will always, always be a cost involved. You know, when people hear about Foster the City or they hear that our family fosters, we often will, will get the same response from people. Um, they'll say something like, uh, man, that's so cool that you guys do that. That's amazing. I could never do that. <laughs> that's what we hear over and over again. People say stuff like, uh, man, isn't it, isn't it hard? What if the kiddos that come into your home um, act out? What if there's behavior issues? You know, these kids are coming from maybe some hard places. They've experienced some difficult things. Um, the reality is um, that, that, can, that can be the case. The reality is every one of us act out of the trauma that we've experienced. I act out of the hard things that I've experienced in my life. We all do. And the reality is, more often than not, these, these kiddos have experienced significantly harder things than you and I ever have. So will they act out? Sometimes. Sometimes that can be really hard. On the flip side, people will say, isn't it hard to let the kids go when they go back home? Like you foster them for months or maybe even years, and then just one day you get a call and a social worker comes and picks them up and takes them back to their family. Like, isn't that difficult? Don't you get attached? You want to know the answer to that? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's a, it rips your heart out every time. The, the first little girl that we brought into our home, we brought her in when she was four months old. Beautiful little girl. We very, very quickly fell in love with her. She very quickly became like a part of our family. We had her for about a year in our home. She took her first steps in my living room, in fact. Her first words were with us. She called me Dada. That was her first word. Very quickly became a, a sister to my biological kids. But as... As we were getting to know this little girl and falling in love with this little girl and watching her become like a part of our family, we were also getting to know her biological parents. And there was a reason why their daughter was with us. I mean, they had made some mistakes, but they were doing everything that they possibly could to bring their little girl back home, everything they could to be able to welcome her back home. Um, and so after about a year, the judge gave the, the green light and he said, okay, it's, it's time. And so I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her father at my front door. My, my son, my oldest son at the time, he, he said it was the, the first time he'd ever seen me cry because we wept that day. Of course it hurts, but we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good because compassion's not about you and it's not about me. <laughs> We have a friend, he says, you don't, you don't foster to get a child for your family, you foster to give your family for a child. You see the difference? And again, that's true with any expression of compassion. We don't show compassion to get something for ourselves, we show compassion to give ourselves to something. 
And if we are willing to do that, if we are willing to embrace the, the pleasure and the joy and the fun and the life, as well as the, the cost and the sacrifice, it's incredible to think about the impact that we can make. And that brings me to our, my kind of third and final core belief of why I believe people are uh, moving towards vulnerable children at such an unprecedented way in the Bay Area. And that's because we are, we're understanding that our investment in the lives of the vulnerable can bring long-term impact. Here's what I mean by that. Even if you have no experience in foster care, child welfare, you can probably guess kids who grow up without a stable, healthy environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they grow older. So for example, um, if kids are not placed into a loving, stable home in foster care, about half will be unemployed in their 20s. A third will spend time on the streets. Um, more than half will develop PTSD. You're, you're actually twice as likely to develop PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's gone through active combat. Think about that for a minute. Let me just say that again. You are twice as likely to develop PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's been shot at. Suicidal tendencies for youth in foster care are four times higher than the average youth. Um, the FBI did a study several years ago. They said that about 60%, that's six zero, about 60% of kids that they were rescuing from human trafficking here in the States come directly from the foster care system. I could keep going and going and going with stats. Here's my point. Here's what we realized. We need churches like Cornerstone Fellowship and individuals and organizations to address people while they're dealing with those issues I just talked about. We need groups like um, IJM that are busting down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked right now. We need people in the Tenderloin in, the, in San Francisco who are helping those who are homeless or who are unemployed. We need people, we need more of that. But what if in addition, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they ever enter into those issues? What would the stats in the Bay Area look like if in, in 15 years from now, 20 years from now, what would the stats look like if every single child that came into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving, stable home? That's our dream. We want to see a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home and Cornerstone Fellowship. My hope is that God might be stirring in your heart to be a part of that in some way. So in just a minute, I'm going to share with you a couple of ways that you could take a step to get involved, or you could at least explore what it might look like for your family to move towards the vulnerable. Before we do that, I want to invite you to watch a quick story. I want you to be able to, to, to hear from a person whose life was impacted by those who moved towards him while they were in foster care. Watch this with me. Statistically, I'm supposed to be dead, in jail, or homeless. Now, I'm not exaggerating. These are the grim odds that I faced growing up as a kid in foster care. You see, kids in foster care are almost four times more likely to attempt suicide. Close to 90% of kids that have been in five or more foster homes will encounter the juvenile justice system before they turn 18. And roughly 30% of foster kids end up homeless. So I'm not exaggerating. Statistically, I was supposed to be dead in jail or homeless. Yet, obviously, here I am. Why? All because of one caring adult. Let me tell you a little bit about Rodney. See, I spent three years trying to get kicked out of Rodney's foster home. Because what hurting kids like me don't talk out, they will often act out. Now, my most notable stunt, and I know this was stupid, 
I opened up a checking account. I had about a hundred bucks in there. But then I proceeded to write north of $10,000 worth of fraudulent checks. I actually got picked up by the police for that idiotic stunt. But what Rodney did was life-changing. After allowing me to spend the night in jail so that hopefully I would learn from my foolishness, he bailed me out the next morning. And I thought for sure, that was it. That was a moment this guy was gonna get rid of me, wash his hands of me, give up on me, walk out on me, just like adult after adult after adult in my life had. But Rodney sat me down. He said, Josh, you know, you can keep causing problems, acting up, acting out, but you've gotta realize, son, we don't see you as a problem. We see you as an opportunity. You see, Rodney didn't see what was on the surface, right? This foster kid who was a troublemaker, this kid who some would call a lost cause. Rodney saw the opportunity. And that moment was my turning point from becoming an inevitable statistic to who I am today, all because of one caring adult. You see, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. So let's be frank with each other. You, you could be the very reason that a kid like me doesn't end up a statistic. Foster the City is focused on providing a loving home for every kid in the foster care system. Now they do this in two distinct ways. Number one, by recruiting foster parents. And way number two is by recruiting individuals to support these foster parents. Look, because of Rodney, no exaggeration, my life was drastically forever changed. And with Foster the City's unique approach, all of us can be a Rodney, either as a foster parent or as a member of that support team for the foster parents. So whichever option you feel called to do, you could be that one caring adult that changes a kid's life forever. So to take your next step and to learn more, check out fosterthecity.org. As Josh said, there are a couple of key ways that you could get involved. One is to actually become a foster parent. You could actually explore what it might look like for your family to open up your heart and your home to someone who's in need in your community. There, there is a profound need for more foster homes right here in the Bay Area and really across the country. That could be a step that you could, you could explore what it might look like to become a foster parent. The reality is that's not for most of us. That's for maybe a handful of us. But I know that there are many of you out there watching today that are thinking, man, like this breaks my heart hearing that there are kids in my community, my neighborhoods that are in need. I'm not at a season of life where I can personally foster, but I can support a foster family. And we, for that, we, we, we've created a role we call a support friend for a foster parent. And let me tell you why. You know, nationwide, there have been studies done, and, and they say that only about 40% of families that are fostering will make it past their first year. You hear that? It's like within year one, only about 40% of families that are fostering will keep going because it's really hard because of all the things we've already discussed today. What changes that retention is if a foster family takes their journey in the context of community. 
if they have support that have been covenanted to them. So this is not a support friend. A support friend is not somebody who says, oh, great, you're fostering. Give me a call if you need something sometime. <laughs> that's a, that's a well-intentioned friend. That's not a support friend, okay? Because you, that, that, that well-intentioned friend will never hear from that foster parent because none of us like to ask for help. A support friend is somebody who has covenanted themselves to that family to, throughout their fostering journey. And so a support friend is somebody who provides practical, emotional, spiritual support to that family throughout their placement. So a support friend is somebody who says, man, I can't foster, but I can bring a meal. I can, I can babysit so those parents can go out and get a date night and keep their marriage strong. I can come show up and do yard work. I can help to provide additional capacity so those families can help foster those kids longer and stronger. Maybe that's a role that you could consider. If you're interested in learning more about that role of a foster parent or a support friend for a foster parent, your next step is the same. It's simply to go to fosterthecity.org. I want to invite you to go to our website, fosterthecity.org, and, and register for one of our upcoming interest meetings. These, these are free informational meetings. There's no money involved. There's no commitments involved. It's just a time to go and explore. We've got them happening all over in person in the Bay Area, but we also, happen, we also have them virtually. So really you can just log on in your pajamas at home and you can just spend about an hour or so learning about these two roles and a couple of other roles that you could play with Foster the City. I wanna encourage you visit fosterthecity.org. Now, let me wrap up with this. Um, as I said, foster care is not for everybody. That's just one expression of remarkable compassion. The question that I wanna leave you with today is this. Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? Because that's what God is calling you to. That's what he's calling me to. I told you what the word compassion means at the outset of, this, of our time together. Let me finish by telling you what the word remarkable means. Remarkable, it's really simple. It's just remark able. In other words, you're able to remark on it. In other words, it's worth talking about. The question is, am I living a life of compassion that's worth talking about. So the other day I went to, to uh, San Diego, flew back. My wife asked me how the flight was. I said, it's fine. In other words, it wasn't remarkably bad. It wasn't remarkably good. It just wasn't worth talking about. It was fine. That's not the kind of life that we were meant to live. Fine. We were meant to live a life of compassion that was worth talking about. And that's straight from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Are you living a life of compassion that when people, when the watching world looks into your life and they see the way that you spend your time and the way that you're, 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 you're holding your relationships, they see the way that you're using your resources and your gifts, when they see the way that you are spending the few fleeting moments that we have on this planet, guys, it goes so fast. When, they see, when the watching world sees the way that you are spending the few fleeting moments you have on this planet, does it cause them to respond? Does it cause them to remark? Does it ultimately cause them to give glory to your Father who's in heaven? That's the life that we're called to. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you and I praise you for every person that's joined us today. God, I, I thank you for Cornerstone Fellowship and for years and years of remarkable compassion towards the, this Bay Area community and really beyond. God, I pray for more. I pray that this area would never be the same as a result of what you're doing in and through Cornerstone Fellowship in this generation. God, I pray for every person that's, that's, that's joined us today that you would stir in their hearts 
that you would give both clarity and courage, that you give us clarity to know how you're, how you're calling us to move forward in our lives of compassion and the courage to follow you in that leadership. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Hey, wait, wait, before you go, three things. First, consider becoming one of Cornerstone Fellowship's financial partners. Uh, your donations will ensure that you'll be able to continue enjoying helpful and hopefully life-changing messages like the one you just watched. And then number two, please share the link to this message with anyone who you know needs it or would be blessed by it or by posting the link to your own personal social media platforms, all of them. And finally, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and turn on the bell so you'll be alerted whenever we post more content. Thanks for watching.